0: there, and welcome back to JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses and other former members of high-control groups and religions take back control of their lives, reclaim their destiny, and become the people they were always supposed to be. So, my name is Koma Fade. I used to be a Jehovah's Witness, but I'm alright now. How are you all doing? I hope you're all having a good day. So, today's episode is an interview with uh, XJW activist John Ledger. Uh, it's actually a really cool interview. We touch a number of topics that are very relevant to the XJW experience. Um, but before we get into that, I've just got a little bit of housekeeping to go through. So, I'd like to give a big forward cast shout out to a new supporter on Patreon. Uh, Holly Minor, thank you so much for your kind support. It is massively appreciated. Uh, and I'd also like to give a shout-out to um, other Patreons who are supporting the cast, but they can't, unfortunately, give their names for a public shout-out because, like myself, uh, if Watchtower found out who they were, they would be disfellowshipped and shunned. I just want to say thanks, guys. Uh, I'm thinking of you, and I'm incredibly grateful for your support. And also, I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone who follows me on Twitter. There's quite a few of you now, and it's great to interact with you all. Um, So I don't say this often enough, but hello to everyone on Twitter. You guys rock, and I hope you're all having a great day. So let's get on to the show Today's interview with John is really interesting. We cover a number of different topics. We talk about John's path out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. We talk about the challenges he's faced co-parenting his children with his um, his former spouse, who is still a very much a hardcore Jehovah's Witness, and how he's negotiated that particular minefield. We talk about um, a few other things as well. For example, we talk get a little bit metaphysical. We talk about agnostic deism. Uh, John describes himself as an agnostic deist. Now, I'd never heard of that before. Um, I would describe myself as an agnostic atheist. And so we talk a little bit about that and what his viewpoint of the world is. And we also talk about overcoming a fear of death, because one of the things that happens when we leave the Jehovah's Witnesses is we realise that Watchtower's promise of everlasting life is um, is not going to happen. That's a fake promise. And we have to start coming to terms with the fact that life might have an end. And we talk about that. It's a struggle that I've had and I know a number of other XJWs have. And John outlines his own struggle with it and how he's come to a measure of peace with that realisation. We also talk about a lot of books, one thing you'll discover as you listen to this show is we reference loads of different books that we've read that we've found helpful for our XJW journey. If you'd like to buy any of those books, uh, you can actually check out the show notes. We've got links to them in Amazon, and this is actually another way you can help support the show. If you click that link and then buy the book, Amazon will actually give the Forwardcast a little share of the profits. It won't cost you anything extra but it will really help us out. So if you're looking to pick up one of those books, maybe go there via the Forwardcast links uh, in the show notes. Okay, guys, without further ado, I give you John Ledger. So, John, welcome to the Forwardcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me there's there's a huge amount i want to cover with you um, i want to talk about everything literally from life to death we're going we're going to hit all the big topics in this one this is uh, life the universe and everything um, but i thought maybe we could start off right at the beginning so could you maybe for our audience explain kind of who you were as a jehovah's witness and how you started to realize it wasn't the truth and then what your journey out of that religion looked like. Sure. Well, I was born in,
1: uh, my father was an elder for most of my life, and he was also a partaker, so he believed he was one of the anointed. My mother was a very abusive person, so we had a very tumultuous childhood. My oldest sister actually ran away from home. As a teenager, my mother became an alcoholic, so she was disfellowshipped for that. My dad was disfellowshipped for trying to defend her. Uh, Eventually, all that was overturned, and the people who did it were thrown out. They lost their eldership. And so it's very tumultuous as a childhood. Uh, But my father, I know a lot of people I've seen online think that people who were anointed or partakers are probably a little crazy or either that or very egotistical. And I totally understand why people would take that view. But my dad was none of those things. And he was an incredibly kind, caring person, generous to a fault. I mean, the kind of man I aspire to be. He died in 2015. Uh, I hope to be the human being that my father was to the point where I used to tell people back when I uh, identified as a Christian that he was the greatest man, second greatest man to walk the earth next to Jesus. And I'm very grateful for his influence because even though he taught me His belief system of Jehovah's Witnesses, there's a lot of differences, not in the doctrinal beliefs that he had, but in his approach. He was not Mm -hmm. a judgmental person at all. So I was never raised to be that judgmental individual or to look down on people. It was very different in that way. Uh, I was baptized when I was 15. I was a really good speaker. So I was appointed as a servant. I got married for the first time, but that, that was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, and although I can't talk about the details because I share custody with my children, the bottom line was anybody who had any rational sense about them, even if they were a Christian or a Bible banger or whatever, would see clearly that the marriage was a disaster, and I had the right to leave it. But of course, Jehovah's Witnesses are beyond any kind of rational belief system when it comes Mm -hmm. to policy, so I was disfellowshipped along with Beth whenever we got remarried. But before that happened, I mean, I was a servant, I gave talks all over the circuit, Because of my family problems, I was never appointed as an elder, though Mm -hmm. they had talked to me about it a number of times, which is really hypocritical because they would use my abilities to speak and they would send me all over the circuit and people would request me and stuff, but they would never appoint me. I didn't stop to think about that till much later, though. That that was quite the hypocritical uh, way for them to be with me. What started to wake me up is. The brother, who was my service group overseer, he knew all about the problems I had in my first marriage. He knew all the details. And he would tell me, don't say you're going to get disfellowshipped. I know lots of people who weren't in your circumstances. You know, you have very strong mitigating circumstances. Quit saying that. And, you know, the truth is I probably wouldn't have been if he had been the brother taking the lead in the committee. Uh-huh. and he was going to be that brother but when the coordinator got wind he wanted he took over and the uh-huh. coordinator was the most judgmental condescending ass you can imagine of a brother and beth and i knew within 2 minutes of being in the committee exactly how this was going to go and my service group overseer that had all but told me that I wasn't going to get fellowship, he kowtowed to the coordinator. And it just went, it was a mess. It was a disaster. I argued with them, Beth argued with them. They weren't having it because of the coordinator. And the third brother sat there like a, a lump and said nothing until the very end when he finally said, you know, you can appeal if you want to. So we were disfellowshipped and I was very, very angry not with the entire organization at this point, but with this group of men for what I saw as a very unjust situation that had happened to me. But that started my research, particularly with the idea of the policy of no divorce except for the grounds of sexual immorality, Which logically didn't make any sense to me at the time, because, well, what if your spouse committed genocide? Are you telling me that you still don't have grounds in God's eyes to get divorced? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You have to see the context of what Jesus was talking about. The Pharisees were getting divorced because their wife burned the breakfast so that they could get younger wives. Obviously, there's context here that you're ignoring. But I did not see the organization as being wicked or bad. I still thought they were God's people, that they were just wrong. The more I started to research, though, the more I started to read from Bible scholars. Unlike a lot of ex that I've talked to, I didn't start off with apostate material. I stayed away from that for a long time. I read scholars like Pete Inns, like Rob Bell, like Christian, progressive people who were trained in the original languages who have a much better grasp on what things actually mean than the uneducated governing body, which at the time I didn't realize how uneducated they actually are when it comes to the Bible. And those things started to really get me questioning a lot of the doctrines. Now, Beth and I were reinstated. Uh, It was a half-hearted thing for both of us, but we did eventually get reinstated and then we just started to fade uh, until it got to the point where I started finding out the dangerous aspects of Watchtower Doctrine. At that point, when I was thoroughly deconstructed, that's when I started to read some of what uh, Watchtower recall apostate material specifically jwfax.com, which I think was an exit point for a lot of people Yeah, and I started digging into the watchtower's financial history The fact that they have investments in things that they say uh, Are disfellowshipping offenses They have investments in cigarette companies. They have investments in uh, arms manufacturers like lockheed martin and I read the apologetics too, because at, at first I didn't believe it. I'm like, no, somebody, this somebody's making this stuff up. So I actually went to the SEC's website, started looking at the tax filings of the Watchtower organization, and there it was in black and white. You know, couldn't couldn't deny it. I read the apologetics about that. Oh, well, that's a an investment fund. You can't control what's in the fund. I'm like, yeah, but they're kicking people out. For smoking, they're telling people that this is all part of Satan's world and the military is bad and they should be checking their investments and they're not. And I was royally pissed about that in the American (laughs) meaning of the word pissed about that (laughs) uh, when that happened. And I told Beth and she was not happy about those things, but that isn't what got her. It was when the Australian Royal Commission happened. That was the nail in the coffin yeah. for Beth. About six months in advance of our disassociating, I wanted to write my letter. I was chomping at the bit. But Beth was worried about her parents because she knew they, I mean, he, her dad was an elder, since there was an elder arrangement, pillars in the congregation, they were going to follow the rules and she mm. knew it. And so I waited. I waited for her. But when ARC happened, she was done. That was it. She couldn't put up with it anymore. And so we both submitted our uh, letters of disassociation together. The irony is that the reason why I felt the need to formally disassociate, I was taught by Watchtower. Because when I was Mm -hmm. studying back in the Study Forever book, (laughs) the Live Forever book, (laughs) that thick volume that we had to study back in the 80s, I was told, and it's, it, there's a, a paragraph on it, that if you do not formally remove yourself from a, a religion or institution that is teaching things that you believe to be harmful, you are guilty by association with that group. And I was taught that by Watchtower and now turned around and applied that to Watchtower. I'm like, well, Mm. you are involved in all of these dangerous, destructive policies, and I cannot let my name be on your list of individuals. I can't just be inactive. I have to leave. Mm. I was fortunate. uh, Beth was not fortunate. Her parents are shunning her. But my brother's... They're kind of fringe anyway. Uh, My father is dead. My mother is totally in, but I don't have anything to do with her. She's a very abusive person, just not someone I want to have any uh, contact with anyway. But my brothers, they never shunned my sister. My sister's been a Baptist for decades. Wonderful family, you know, uh, got herself together. Amazing daughter, just beautiful person and my my brothers have always communicated with her. I was the company man, so I would not mm. well, she's this fellowship. I can't have anything to do with her. I was uh I have many regrets <laughs> about those behaviors back then, but uh, I knew that they weren't gonna shun me because they hadn't shunned her, and so I called them I'm like, look, you know look, manny look ted this is this is." why i'm making this decision these are the problems i have with the watchtower and i'm done mm-hmm. and they weren't happy about it but they we still stay in touch we talk we text you know they don't have an issue with that we mostly avoid religious discussion because i respect the fact that we disagree but they've never held to that disfellowshipping and shunning and all that. So and they were really bad as teenagers. <laughs> they got in a lot of trouble that they probably should have been prosecuted for. And so, you know, they know, they know that they, yeah. it would be hypocritical of them
0: to be that way. Okay. That's interesting. So there's a few things I'd like to kind of just drill down a bit deeper into, because one of the things you mentioned is your, your study of actual Christian theology was one of the things that made you start to understand that the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society was not necessarily teaching what was actually in the Bible. Now, I know that a lot of your videos kind of touch on this and have this theme, but I just wanted to touch on that because a lot of XJWs, they're in a position where they feel, well, I don't agree with what the Watchtower is doing with some of its conduct, but I can't get over the fact that they still teach what's in the Bible. So and as 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 your your videos and as a lot of XJWs have come to realize when you start researching what the different you know what's actually in the bible it actually isn't what watchtower's teaching but on the surface a surface reading might make it look as if watchtower is the only organization that's teaching what's in the bible and that can be a difficult thing for some people to get around so could you recommend a couple of books that maybe that you researched, that if someone, if someone is in that position of thinking, well, I don't agree with the conduct of the Watchtower when it comes to child abuse or other things, but I have this thing where I, I still think they're the only people teaching you know Christianity as put forward in the Scriptures. Can you recommend a couple of books they might want to check out that will start showing them that's not necessarily the case? Sure. There's two in particular. Uh, Pete Ends The
1: Bible Tells Me So, and Rob Bell. Love Wins. Now, they're both progressive Christian theologians. They're both formally trained. They both have a command of the original languages. Pete Enns is very much a Greek scholar, so he gets a lot into to the NT. Uh, and Rob Bell is kind of a pop Christian minister. So his book, re, it's very popish when you read it. And if you mm-hmm. can get past that uh, mm-hmm. onto what he's saying then you'll see that he just obliterates the Watchtower stand on a number of topics. And Pete Ends is really good. He's funny and entertaining. Neither of those books are difficult reads. They're not dry or boring academic studies. Uh, But once you get through those, Pete Enns is great at pointing out the contradictions that you're gonna have to swallow if you wanna believe that the Bible is literal, inerrant, the you know history of humanity, so those are the two I would recommend. I read some others. Uh, Mike McCarg is not a trained theologian, but uh, he is an enthusiast and a science enthusiast, and he's a progressive Christian. He wrote a great book called "Finding God in the Waves," which is mm. kind of it was my first step down that letting go of everlasting life problem. So Mm -hmm. I owe a lot to Mike and he has a a great podcast called Science Mike for anyone who still is hanging on to some aspects of Christianity. Uh, The funny thing for me is I know a lot of XJWs, they kind of fall off the ladder of Mm -hmm. religion and land on their face and it really hurts. But I climbed down the ladder. I deconstructed down. So Mm -hmm. I didn't go through a lot of the really painful situations that I see other people go through. I did believe for a while after exiting, but slowly, piece by piece, as I deconstructed my former beliefs, I had a softer landing. Mm. Now, the everlasting life thing was hard, but the other pieces weren't so hard because I spent a lot of time reading and thinking about all of those situations and how they affected me.
0: And that's interesting. And we're actually going to come on to the everlasting life thing a bit later, because that's a really key issue, I think, for a lot of XJWs. And that's really worth talking about um, in quite a bit of detail. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting there is you kind of, once you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses, you are kind of like left, I think a lot of people in this, what do I actually believe? Am I still religious? Am I still a Christian? Am I an atheist? What am I? And I think the only the, the the main and important thing, I think, for people is to f- genuinely find your path, read, research, think. Because XJWs, we, we will we'll all come to different conclusions about the universe because that's that's the way human beings work. We all We can see the same evidence and we can all come to slightly different conclusions. But the key thing is make sure that they're your conclusions, that you've thought them through, that you're happy with the reasonings and always be open minded and be aware that there might be, you know, and there might be other arguments and other viewpoints. And I, I try to be, and I, I would describe myself as an agnostic atheist. Um, but I'm continually, A, open to, you know, I'm open to being convinced otherwise. But it's also interesting to, like you say, there are, people can come to different conclusions, especially with something as, you know, as complex as Christianity. There are a lot of different interpretations. And the more you look at the actual theology and the discussions of theology, you realize that the Watchtower's interpretation of it. Is very far from being this this single cast iron concrete interpretation. And I think for some ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, once they realize that, it kind of sets them free. That one lingering doubt they had that, but what if this is the true religion, starts to evaporate. And so I think for some people, that aspect of research is really important another question I wanted to ask you about is um obviously you're in a situation and i think there might be quite a few xjws who are in this this difficult situation where they have shared custody with um a former spouse who is maybe still a witness how are you would you have any advice on how to deal with that or how have you been able to Obviously, it's a difficult situation, but how have you been able to try and make that work? It took a lot of trial and error because, obviously, uh, well, I
1: shouldn't say obviously, my ex wife is very much in. She's very mm. much one of Jehovah's Witnesses, very zealous all, you know, for the religion. And so she teaches the kids that religion. Mm. Um, but what I do, and you have to be careful, especially uh, in my situation, because I don't want to bash their mother's beliefs Mm -hmm. to them. I just want to point out that mine are different and why. And I do that and it's worked. They see the difference. They see that she drags them out in service. She drags them to meetings. They see that she's not as nice as they claim they are. Mm -hmm. She sees that we do Things like they see that we do things like homeless outreach, and mm. you know, we are good to people, and we're still kind to people despite what they hear at the Watchtower about how everyone who's in the world is wicked. They see the difference, and you know we celebrate Christmas, they're not with not the gifts part, but with we have the tree last year, and they celebrate their birthdays, and we have little birthday parties for them, and they really like those things. Obviously, kids like to have fun, and they ask. About it, and I explain to them in simple terms that they can understand why I think it's silly. We sat down the other day, we we're having ice cream, and I forget how it came up, but uh the idea of things being pagan came up. Mm. one of my kids mentioned it, and I told him, "Well, you know that all the days of the week are named after gods." from a long time ago and my son loves the marvel comic movies so he <laughs> thor is Brilliant. like his yeah. favorite character thor so yeah. i knew he loved that movie you know that thursday comes from thor's day it's actually in worship yeah. of the god thor like and he's like oh that's great you know so he really liked that uh and we were eating ice cream like well you know ice cream's not in the bible does that mean we can't have anything to do with ice cream and they laughed and that's silly and so approaching it from a simple way, not an attack, mm. but just a reasonable think about this and whatever understanding they have at their age, it really works. And both of them, both of them have told me that they are not going to follow mm. their mother's religion. And they're young. My daughter's about to turn eight. And my son is 10. So whatever they decide is perfectly okay with me as long as they've made a conscientious decision. But. Uh, I can tell, Mm -hmm. I can tell that they're, they're going to be fine. It wasn't easy because, and I have to be careful about the way I word it because legally I'm not supposed to say, you know, I have to be careful about how I talk Mm -hmm. about it uh, and my kids being involved. But there was a lot of negative things that happened at first that I wanted to rail against. I wanted to tell my kids, how uh, terrible i thought it all was and, and how damaging it is and i wanted to do that but you have to suppress that because you're dealing with mm. children and you it's their mother and it's better to slowly just show them why you believe what you believe show them the kind of life you live and let them begin to come to those conclusions on their own I'm fortunate that that is what my father always did with me. He was always reasonable and logical. And even if I was too young to really understand what he was talking about, I had memories of him explaining things to me. So I'd never Mm -hmm. assume that they're going to do things that I tell them to do just because I said to do it. No, they need to hear the reason why. And I think that's helped. So they're on a good path
0: now. That's good because obviously the, I can understand the temptation for many XJWs in this situation is to be terrified that their children are going to become JWs and to almost to overreact. And in their completely understandable desire to get their kids away from this religion, they actually push them further in. And I think what you said, that's brilliant advice that basically kids are smart, kids pay attention. They notice things, and it's almost like if that that you're just basically being you're showing the difference. You're showing them the difference between what life is like as a Jehovah's Witness and what life is like when you're not a Jehovah's Witness. And I've heard this from other other parents who are in similar situations. Is they just kind of start to work it out. And I think the other thing I think is important, like you say, is you still show the the JW side of things respect. You're not disrespectful, and kids work out that JW's are quite disrespectful to non JW's, but non-JWs are respectful to JWs and that they just start to work it all out and come to their own conclusions. Yeah, um, And I think one, one I think that's probably quite interesting to think about is also that in a sense, if you're the, the non-JW parent, you literally are the only real adult in the room because the kids are kids and JW spouse in many ways doesn't have complete control of their own mind. In many ways, they're under the control of an organization. In some ways, they are quite childlike. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean, they're not in control of their own free thinking and faculties. Yeah, they so, have passed yeah. that
1: over to another group of people. And yeah. That's true. You can't deny that. And
0: them. it's And that's why it's so important for that non-JW parent to literally be the adult in the room, to act responsibly, to act rationally, calmly, and kindly, because the children really will pick up on that.
1: One last yeah. thing I would say about uh, if you have kids and you share custody with someone who is a witness, the watchtower life is very, very boring for children. So you are at a distinct advantage as the non-JW parent that your life is just inherently going to be more fun for the kids. And those fond memories are going to feed their decision as they get older. So I really think we have a big advantage because it would be different if uh, witnesses celebrated all the holidays but had all these other destructive doctrines. No, but everything they do, it's very ascetic lifestyle. It's very uh, austere. It's, It's cold and boring for children most
0: of the time. And that sets us at a distinct advantage in that regard. Absolutely. So moving on now to another aspect of leaving is shunning. Uh, and as you said, you've been quite fortunate in that members of your family. Um, some members of your family are kind of still interacting with you, but obviously Beth is not not in that situation. She does have to deal with her family shunning her. So how have how have you both been able to cope with that? And maybe how have you been able to support Beth in a situation where she's perhaps the one who has? Um, correct me if this is this is incorrect, but she's maybe lost more with shunning than you have. So how have you been able to support her in that regard?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say she's lost more. I have friends or former friends that no longer have anything to do with me, of course, but uh, most of my family, except for my mother, who I have no desire to have anything to do with, it's fine. We don't have that issue. It's a little strained, but it's not gone. So Beth has definitely had the harder row to hoe in that regard. And it was difficult. She went so far beyond the call with her parents she tried to talk to them calmly about it they couldn't listen calmly she wrote them a long letter that was very respectful and they didn't even bother to respond to it Uh, she tried everything that she could try to not be offensive or difficult with them just to let them know look this is how i feel but i love you i want you in my life Uh, I if you are willing to have a relationship with me i'm willing to have a relationship with you and they just no, We're going to have it to the point where there was a hurricane In uh, north carolina that affected where we lived in charlotte last year and they didn't even call To see if she was still alive I mean, it's that that that's the kind of indoctrinated behavior That witnesses are driven to much of the time and the shame of it is That when I was in, I really liked her parents. Her parents have a lot of good qualities. And she says this on her her YouTube channel, that it's not like her parents are terrible people. They Mm. do have a lot of good qualities, but their own personal issues coupled with the indoctrination of a religion that demands this kind of behavior, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. as far as being supportive, I'm very glad Beth has me uh, because I I do try to support her. I know she's got a harder road to hoe. She's studying psychology, which is very helpful. And again, it's, it's backfired. Watchtower's policy backfires because the reason why Beth wanted to understand psychology, to study psychology, and is now reaching out to help other people is because of what Watchtower has done. To her. And so by having that policy, all they do is create an army of people who turn around to save people from the same thing that they dealt with. It really is a shot in their own foot.
0: It's, it, I totally agree it's extremely counterproductive and there's 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 numerous ways this has blown up in their faces. One it's obviously a horrible thing to do to people and causes scars for you know for Jehovah's witnesses and also for those they have to shun. Two as you've said it then creates an army of people who are motivated to go out and help those who've left and also get information there for those who want to leave. And there's other interesting things like I know at the moment Watchtower is paranoid about people who are leaking sensitive information. Well, the reason those people are leaking sensitive information is because they've been trapped inside by the shunning policy, and literally the only way they can fight back is to do this kind of thing. If Watchtower would just let people leave, they would have—they probably have fewer followers overall, but they'd have a much easier life because people wouldn't wouldn't be people who didn't believe wouldn't be trapped. Yeah, there, I
1: completely agree with that. I mean, really, the if there was any single policy that hurts them more than any other it is the shunning policy not even the disfellowshipping because they used to disfellowship but they didn't shun. fine kick people out excommunicate whatever okay that's whatever that's fine do your little judicial thing but when you tell people they can no longer speak with their family the kind mm. of anger that you incite and engender is just unbelievable do you, and in the age of the internet, you cannot mm. get away with that. So, yeah, like you said, these people are trapped. The fact that we have acronyms, POMO, PIMO, yeah. <laughs> you know, for that describe the kind of situation people are in. Well, Watchtower created that. You yeah. got people that are stuck in, that don't want to be in, but they know if they leave, their family's going to shun them. And so the kind of anger and resentment
0: that builds, they leak everything they get a hold of. Right? Yeah. They really are. They're just causing their own demise in that regard. Yeah. And, it's, and I think also in terms of PR, I mean, I think obviously there are things that Watchtower does that the general public find out about and are horrified by. But I think actually one of them, the shunning one, that's the one that the general public, apart from the child abuse and the blood thing, people are obviously horrified by that. But the shunning thing, people is like, how, that's injustifiable. How do you take people's families away? And then you occasionally see online sort of um, you'll see a Watchtower apologist or a JW try to justify it and not realize that it's literally impossible to justify this if you're outside the JW bubble. Um, I, I think Watchtower doesn't really comprehend how grotesque the shunning policy is to people who are you know, not in that particular bubble of indoctrination. Um, I agree with
1: that. I do believe that the governing body members are true believers. I really do think they are just extremely narcissistic, mm -hmm. true believers that they think that everything they say is true because they've said it. And that makes it even worse because they refuse to compromise or change in any way. Uh, Like I forget his name, the uh, governing body helper who said they will never change the two witness rule. Ah, Gary bro. Yeah, bro. bro. Gates fame. Yeah, Yeah. When they say things like that, and all that does is far further incite anger and hatred, and they won't compromise, and that rigid structure breaks much faster than one that's willing to be more flexible. So the day is coming. The day of reckoning is coming, and it's partly here with all the lawsuits and everything that are going
0: on now. Yeah, that actually leads us quite nicely into the topic of activism. Obviously, um, um, people who he'll know you will know that you've got a YouTube channel and you're on Twitter and you've been producing a number of videos to cover XGW activism. And also you're kind of part of a double act because Beth's also an activist and she's producing videos, and she's appeared on what uh, John Cedar's Watchtowering Focus channel. So I kind of wanted to sort of talk to you now a little bit about what was your journey into activism, and kind of like, how did you decide on what your focus was going to be for your videos and the kind of output that you produce? Well, at
1: first, I didn't want to have anything to do with activism. I appreciated the people who did, JW Facts, Lloyd, you know, ex-JW Critical Thinker was a favorite of mine. But... I told myself, and I would tell Beth, I just want to lead my life. I have no mm-hmm. real interest in railing against the watchtower. You know, I'm out. I'm happy. I'm going to raise my kids to be happy. I just want to live my life now that I'm, I'm gone. But Beth started studying psychology and had a an real desire to help people. And so she wanted to start a YouTube channel, even though it wasn't really in her nature to do something like that. She felt motivated and had this strong desire to help people. So I told her, well, I'll help you. I'll produce your videos and, you know, we'll get the YouTube channel together. I'm a software developer. So I have the technical knowledge to do those things. Uh, And she started with her channel and I would produce the videos and post them for her. And I would help her monitor the comments and I would see the things that people would say. Mm. And I was just blown away. I mean, she is really helping people. People really need to see this. Well, and then, of course, that old (laughs) watchtower shot themselves in the foot. That that teaching, if you see a guy standing in the road and you see a truck coming and you don't holler, (laughs) you're blood guilty, right? Because you could have stopped it and you did. And I'm like, I'm sitting here enjoying life. I have the technical knowledge. I have all of the scriptural knowledge, all of the research and the reading that I've done. I could be helping people and I'm not. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. So it didn't take a month after her. She started her channel and I saw the good response. I'm like, I've got to do this, too. But I'm not like Beth. Beth is a uh, an empath. She is very connected with people. She uh, relates to and understands people very well. I'm a software developer. I'm I am not (laughs) good with that kind of connection with people. I once had a a Bible study long, long ago. I'm not observant at all. Uh, And he was an older man and I would go see him and he was gone for a couple of weeks and I hadn't heard from him. So I went back and I went back and I finally got back and he was home. I'm like, Oh, Hey, how you been? Anything new? And he says, well, they amputated my leg. And I hadn't even. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't even noticed. I mean, that is the kind of me Was he hopping mad?
0: (laughs) I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. That's I'm just gonna retract that joke. (laughs) There we go. That's that's retracted. Sorry, after you.
1: That's the difference between me and Beth. Beth very connected with people on an emotional level. People always called and talked to her because they knew she was a good listener, she could understand, could relate. Not me, not at all. Uh so I'm like, well, I, what do I have to work with? Well, I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of scriptural knowledge. I mean, I was the guy who studied all the prophecies, who memorized all the scriptures, and all that. So I can apply that in the logic that I have always used in my job as a software developer. Which incidentally, I just I shake my head now. I'm like, how could I be so rational and logical in every other aspect of my life, but somehow that just got ignored. When it came to religion, which shows you it's largely an emotional attachment. It really isn't about intelligence or intellect at all. And I started to apply that to the teachings of witnesses. And I love Lloyd's videos, but I don't like to watch videos. I know the irony there. So I wanted to make short, punchy, packed Information packed videos that specifically target individual topics. The only exception to that is when I do the Watchtower rebuttals, those by necessity are a little longer, but I try to keep everything as short as possible for the sake of people like me who don't like to watch long videos. So when I, I always watch all of Lloyd's videos, but I tend to break them up into mm. pieces so that I can digest it better because I have a hard time focusing that long. If if I'm going to watch a movie or a video, stuff better start blowing up real fast to hold my attention. <laughs> 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 and I wanted to do that for people to create those short, uh, information-filled, logical videos to help people mm. deconstruct and break it down.
0: And it's interesting because I think that's, that's one of the useful things with activism is it allows you to kind of think to yourself, well, what, what, what's useful for me personally. And I think the more, the more material it's out there, the better. Cause I mean, we are all different. We all engage with slightly different things, um, slightly different formats. It's like some people can watch two hours of video in a stretch. Some people, I, 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 my attention span is literally 10 minutes. So I have to, like you say, you have to chop it up into bits. And I think that's, One of the if somebody is thinking of getting into activism, and I think that's like a personal decision. I can totally understand people who are like, "I'm out, I'm fine. I I genuinely want to get on with my life," and I think that's completely legitimate. And I think, but if you are thinking activism is something I want to get involved with, I think one of the the things I would say is kind of produce the content you'd want to see. Don't feel obligated to put out stuff. Think, well, I've got no interest in this format or this subject, but I feel like I have to cover it because that will come across in in what you're doing you know your own enthusiasm is contagious and if you can find the stuff that's interesting for you in a way that you would like to hear it that comes across then in what you're creating and and i that i mean, have you would you say that was accurate
1: or have you oh absolutely and i think beth and my channels both are a great example of that because she wanted to what she had no interest in breaking down doctrine, she wanted mm. people to see how to heal, you know, to look at the psychological and emotional damage that these policies cause and to attack it from that angle and show people these are the things you can do once you're out to start to take care of yourself and a. Clearly, there was a need because in three months, she's got 4,000 subscribers. Yeah. You know, people needed that. And uh, they, she has so many cheerleaders in the comments and people who are mm-hmm. so grateful to get that kind of information. There's a lot of us who deconstruct people. Break down doctrine, things like that. But there's not a lot of people who do what Beth's doing and what you're doing now with the forecast, showing people how to move past it. How to, once you're out, what do you do now? Where do we go from here? So that was very, true for her and for me the same because once I started making the videos, I've been doing this for about three months and I uh, crossed 2100 subscribers today Mm. and I can tell from the comments that people appreciate what's being done so definitely follow your passion, follow what you want people to hear what would have helped you to hear whenever you were exiting or deconstructing and I think you'll find there's a whole lot of people just
0: like you out there. Mm. Absolutely, and that kind of that actually brings us on to um, one of the major topics I was hoping to talk to you about. Talking about you know coping with the realities of leaving and some of the psychological effects. Now, one of the major things that happens, I think, for a lot of actually and I've noticed this in a lot of comments and online discussions, and I've actually felt this myself. One of the major psycholog- one of the kind of the major mindsets you have when you J- uh, JWs that you'll have forever. You're going to live forever. You're never going to grow old. You're never going to die. And worst case scenario, if you do die, you're going to come back. And then when you leave, one of the things that hit me, it was almost like someone had sat me down and told me I had a terminal illness. It's like, by the way, you've only got, I mean, for me, it's going to be, you've got, you know, I'm afraid you've only got 40 years ish. Um, But for someone who thought you were going to live forever, that's like, um, I, I only have 40 years, I'm going to get old, but what, what is this? This is terrible. And so I went through a real struggle. And to some degree, some days I do have this kind of fear, like feeling like I've just been told I've got this terminal disease. Now, we chatted about this on Twitter, and you've, you've already alluded to this a little bit in, um, in this discussion, that you, you've also kind of faced this particular realization of mortality but you've been able to come to a degree of peace with it. Could you describe your journey from first realizing that you were, you know, essentially you weren't going to live forever to going to a place where you were okay with that? Sure. Uh, Initially I was very much like you. I thought someone had told me
1: that I had a terminal illness. It was almost like a panic feeling that this is it. I mean, is this really it? Can this really be it? I mean, I'm done after this. And it was hard, but being the kind of person that I am, first of all, I'm, I suffer from serious overconfidence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very much an overconfident person. And so uh, that was good thing when it came to exiting, because once I knew Mm. I was right, that was it. I'm right. You're wrong. And although I respect you as an individual, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm. I applied that same kind of logic and reasoning to the idea that i was going to die and i did a lot of research and a lot of reading and it occurred to me once i remember i was taking a walk back when i lived in charlotte uh, i used to walk to the grocery store which is maybe a half mile away you just kind of get a daily some daily exercise in, walking back and forth for a coffee or whatever and it hit me that if the atheist Thinking is correct, or I shouldn't even say atheist, I should say materialist view mm. is correct, that all we are is what we're made of. And if the universe is eternal and in a never ending cycle of big bang and big crunch, which is one current thinking, if that's true, then when I die, all the little bits that make up me are going to decompose, are going to go in the ground. Hopefully, I'll end up in something nice like a flower and not something that came out of you know the backside of a horse or something. Hopefully, I'll be something good <laughs> <laughs> when I'm decomposed. Uh, but in about 5 billion years, the sun is going to... Supernova and the earth is gonna be toast, and all of my little pieces are gonna get spread farther and farther into the galaxy. Andromeda is gonna eventually hit the Milky Way, and there's gonna be this massive uh amount of catastrophic damage and stuff's gonna get even further spread out, and eventually all of the galaxies are gonna collapse back in on themselves. There's gonna be another big bang, and the universe is gonna keep trying this over and over and over again. Well, the thing that hit me is that if you Combine eternity with random chance, assuming that the universe is random, mm-hmm. what you get is everything conceivable. And you get it over and over and over again. At some point in the vast future, untold trillions of years down the road all of the pieces that make up me or at least that core consciousness that is me assuming that the materialist view is correct Mm. all of those pieces are going to combine again somewhere now of course at the first however many trillions of times it's not going to be somewhere that's uh uh, habitable and so i'm not going to last very long but eventually, eventually all of the pieces that make up all of the things that make a world that is possible, like we have now, will reconverge in the same, uh, the same formula, or the same construction that they are now. And so will the thing that makes up my consciousness. So, even if the materialists are true, if they're right, and I don't believe that they're correct, but if they are correct, there is still a potential. For something farther down the line. That is the conclusion that hit me. The epiphany I had on that walk that Mm. helped me to no longer fear the future. Now, I didn't know if it was true, you know, obviously have no way, no evidence to prove that, Mm. but it was enough to quiet the concern for the future. So that was step one that, uh, got me to no longer worry about the future. And it really did help. I mean, at that point, I just quit being concerned. I thought, well, if there is no God, and I wasn't sure at the time, if there is no God, well, it doesn't really matter. Because if the materialists are right, there's still a possibility for some kind of vast cosmic reincarnation, if you want to call it that. Uh, And then, as I continued to read and study, I came across uh, Epicurus, who is a Greek philosopher, and I really like what he said. Uh, let me see, I wrote it down here, that to accustom yourself to believe that death is nothing to us, for good and evil imply awareness, and death is the privation of all awareness. Therefore, a right understanding that death is nothing to us makes the mortality of life enjoyable, not by adding to life an unlimited time, but by taking away the yearning, after immortality. And that really struck me as true that every minute I spent worrying about the future was a minute I was not enjoying right now. Mm. So I decided that because I don't know and I can't know, but I do have kind of the materialist safety net that may be true. Why worry about that? At the sacrifice of what I do have right now, because Mm. if this is it, and again, I'm not really, I'm agnostic on the idea one way or the other. Uh, But if this is it, then I should appreciate it as much as possible. So that helped. But I was a big fan of Greek philosophers, so I also came across... Uh, something that Socrates said. I was reading the In Defense of Socrates, and he is purported to have said this, which really helped me. To fear death, gentlemen, is no other than to think oneself wise when one is not, to think one knows what one does not know. No one knows whether death may be the greatest of all blessings for a man, yet men fear it as if they knew that it was the greatest of evils. Mm. And that also was a tremendous help. I'm going to leave it to an ancient dead Greek philosopher to really help. (laughs) Uh, That, you know, he's right. People who are afraid of death think they're wiser than they really are. You think you know something you cannot possibly know, you don't know what's going to happen. And so you're spending your time fretting and wasting the joy you could have now, worrying about something you cannot possibly know. And again, all of this backed up with the safety net, the materialist view. That if the universe is the eternity and if random chance is responsible for the universe that we live in, that what you will get is everything over and over and over again. And if all we are is the material, some of our parts, and at some point in the great vast universe, those parts will reconvene. Into what we are now into the exact earth we have now. Maybe it looks a little different Maybe we look a little different Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have that awesome english accent that I envy (laughs) by the way (laughs) Maybe we don't have that but the conscious awareness is still there So that was the next step But I never quit learning i'm still learning and I read a book by dr. Robert lanza called biocentrism and also its follow-up beyond biocentrism. And he gets into the double-slit experiment and uh, all of the really interesting conclusions and uh, questions that it brings up. And it's complicated to describe, but there's a lot of great YouTube videos that talk about the double-slit experiment. And Mm -hmm. I would encourage anyone who's listening, just go watch a YouTube video on it. Uh, it really will blow your mind some of the things that people are discovering in quantum physics about just yeah. how strange the universe and our existence is. And that opened up a lot of uh, possibility and room for awe about things. Mm. And an understanding that, you know, I think uh, Russell Brand put it really well. He said, My cat. Doesn't know what the internet is, and mm. I loved that quote because he's what Brand was saying is we're like a cat that is completely unaware. Of the internet, the internet, the Wi-Fi data is constantly streaming through the cat's body if it lives in a house where there's Wi-Fi. It has no clue. It has does not have the senses or perceptive ability to know what any of that is. And even if it did, I mean, even if it could somehow sense it, if you sat the cat down and tried to explain to it, well, the internet is yeah. all these bits of data, and then we have the web and we have email. Well, no clue. He'd just lick his paws and ignore you.
0: Yeah. You'd be like, can I eat it and can I chase it? Exactly. If not, I'm not interested. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And my my issue with much of humanity, I love science. I love technology. I think the things that it has discovered and the way it's made life better. Stephen Pinker's Better Angels of Our Nature, a phenomenal book. Everybody yeah, needs to read book. it. Yeah. Everybody needs to read that and see what the continued advancement of humanity has done for people thanks to knowledge and science and getting away from hocus pocus and juju religion good things but there is a limit everything that comes into our brain is everything we see we hear we perceive is a 3d model generated by our own brain we do not have the ability to understand anything that is beyond what we can't understand we are a cat looking at the internet and i think it's hubris for humanity to say that we have it all figured out that there cannot possibly be this there cannot possibly be that and the follow-up book beyond biocentrism i it really helped me to no longer believe in a random universe. I didn't before, Mm. but it was a hunch. Uh, Now I don't believe in a random universe because he uses a phenomenal illustration in that book. He says, you know, the old saying that if you put a million monkeys in front of a million typewriters for a million years, you would get great works of literature. It's like, that's total baloney. And here's why. And he breaks down the math. So let's say you have a million monkeys in front of a million typewriters and they can type 45 words per minute, which I got to say is pretty darn good if a monkey can type 45 (laughs) words a minute for a million years. Mm. It would take 276 trillion keystrokes to get the first 15 letters of the novel Moby Dick correct. Call me Ishmael. And the amount of time that would take with a million monkeys typing 45 words per minute is 2,600 times the estimated lifespan of the universe. Just to get the first 15 letters of Moby Dick correct using random smacking of keys by a million monkeys. Now, you apply that ridiculous set of odds to things like life, consciousness, the planet, the entire universe, and the odds just become so ridiculous that it's, to me, almost nonsensical to believe that pure randomness is capable of producing what currently exists. Now, I know that cosmology tries to get around this problem by uh, creating The mathematical idea of a multiverse. Well, this isn't the only universe. There's Potentially on you know countless other universes rolling the random dice at the same time And this one just happened to get it right. Well, while I appreciate that that's a great cop-out uh Cosmology is also quick to admit that we have no empirical evidence at all That there is a multiverse And in fact, it would be impossible for us to ever have any empirical evidence that other universes exist. So for me, that requires just as much faith as someone who believes that the universe has some kind of intent. Uh, Now, I do not believe in a personal God. I'm I'm agnostic. I call myself an agnostic deist because as a, a guy I was talking to on Twitter the other day pointed out, he said, I can't really call myself strictly agnostic, if I believe the universe may have some kind of intent, even if I just think it's a hunch. I'm like, okay, mm. I, I buy that. I'll buy that. I'll call myself an agnostic deist, but not the personal God you pray to kind of deist. No, mm. I don't believe that. But I'm a software developer. Mm. And I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Great book. Awesome, awesome series. The part where he starts talking about how the earth is basically a machine designed to solve a problem. And of course the answer is 42 in the the end, life, the universe and everything. Uh, I like that idea because I'm a software developer. I have a pet notion and it's just a notion. I have no empirical evidence that it may be true that the universe is trying to solve a problem. It's a great equation or a formula or an algorithm that's constantly trying to solve a problem and evolution really fits into that for me because evolution makes small improvements over long periods of time what does that sound like this sounds like software right windows 1.0 oh my god you'd never want to mess with that windows 3.0 3.1 95 98 nt xp i mean over time as a Software developers get feedback from people who use the software and they see ways to improve it and the hardware gets better, whatever. The software continues to progress and improve and get better mm-hmm. and better and better. Well, evolution. I mean, that's what evolution does, right? So, uh, And again, going back to the double-slit experiment, I really get the feeling and I like the idea that the universe is somewhat virtual, And Mm. I know that's going way off the cold medicine, maybe speaking here, that's going way off into the (laughs) deep philosophy that the universe may be virtual because really it is pixelated. It comes down Mm. to tiny points where you cannot get any smaller based on current uh, quantum physics understanding. We live in a pixelated universe. And Mm. so if the universe is a great algorithm trying to solve a problem, well, maybe that problem is life and not just life, but the best kind of life, because evolution tends to make life better and better and better over time. Now, some people argue, and I completely understand the argument, that, uh, well, yeah, but life has all kinds of horrible problems, and there's violence, and there's war. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, it's not going to be perfect. We're not dealing with, you know, uh, Windows XP here. We're way back on 1.1. 1. 1. We, we're There are problems. But then, Problems are also in the eye of the beholder because the rabbit that's being eaten thinks his situation is terrible and horrible and oppressive. But to the fox who's eating the rabbit, that's life saving. Mm. So it's really a matter of perspective. From my limited human individual perspective, something bad that happens to me, yeah, it's terrible. But if you were able to be a detached third party looking down at the earth, from just a cold, rational perspective, what happens to me that I perceive as horrible may have consequences that, for the whole, are good, mm. are positive, <clears throat> are progressive. So, all of those things, and that's just my nutshell armchair, you know, mm. the brief philosophy of the universe and life and everything, uh, those things and thinking about those things help me to realize. That one, death may not be anything to fear. Two, if it is, why would I waste my time worrying about it rather than enjoying what I have? And Mm -hmm. three, as much as I love science and as much as I love cosmology and physics and all of those things, we're just a cat looking at the internet. And we Mm -hmm. cannot possibly know everything that could or might be. So be Mm -hmm. a and that's easy to say and hard to do. It's hard to get past your evolutionary drive to preserve your life. Uh, and that's where mindfulness meditation comes in for me. And I know uh, you talk about that quite a bit on the forum. Yeah. Tremendously helpful when you can quiet all the voices in your head that are constantly driving you to do, to perform, to succeed. And just stop and appreciate the now. The other day on on Twitter, uh, I posted a a tweet that I was walking to the organic juice bar that's up the road, which I do quite a bit. And when I practice that mindfulness on that walk, everything becomes magical. And I realized the other day why children believe in things like magic, why children perceive the world and what an adult would describe as a very magical, innocent way. It's because they are experiencing right now. They're not worried about their job. They're not worried about the kids. They're not worried about the mortgage. They're not worried about their health. They're just in it totally right now. And when you can do that, there really is a kind of peace that comes That is hard to describe unless you've experienced it And I recently read an awesome book by robert Ryder called why buddhism is true and it's not about Mm -hmm. buddhism juju buddhism, but it's about mindfulness meditation and those principles and applying them to your life in order to bring Clarity and peace and to quiet the storm of your thoughts And I would strongly encourage anybody who's listening to do that Or at least try it. Like you say on your Mm. forecast, maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't. That's fine. Maybe you're a person like me and it works and maybe you're not and it doesn't and you need something else. But I know that I'm not alone. And Mm. I really do think that at least give it a try. Give it a shot. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's a number of, um, I think, things you've met that are really fascinating me. I think one of the really interesting things about that is you were able to come to this kind of like feeling of being at peace with existence and the potential of mortality by doing research and thinking. And now that you're no longer locked in the bounds of a watchtower will allow you to research and study, you can study philosophy, you can read up about quantum physics, you can listen and watch the discussions, you know, between people talking about these fascinating concepts of like... You know, is there intent in the universe? What is consciousness? I listened to the um the Waking Up podcast with Sam Harris a lot. And he had a guy on called, yeah, he's great. And he had he had a guy on called Max Tegmark, who's written a book called Life 3.0, which is about AI and the potential of AI. And one thing he pointed out was that you either accept that there's something special about the squishy stuff inside your head or you don't. Now if you and, you know there's a debate to be had there, but if you don't, then you have to acknowledge that the, the process of consciousness that exists in your skull isn't substrate dependent. It doesn't have to be contained in squishy stuff. it could be contained in silicon or in another substrate or in age. So the, the potential for consciousness to exist, is possibly this really interesting, fascinating thing, which we don't fully understand, but isn't necessarily, you know, could be contained in an AI. It could be contained in a form of life we can't, or a form of existence we can't possibly comprehend. And these are all the philosophical concepts that once you're not bound into Watchtower's rigid way of thinking, you're free to explore and you're free to analyze and work out what you think about this. And I, I agree, I find this fascinating once you start looking into things like, the way we think the universe works. And the more you read up about it, the more you realize, actually, we don't really know. Because the more we find out there are some really strange, once you start getting down to the quantum level and the level of quarks and the way light behaves and everything else, the universe does some weird stuff that doesn't make sense. Indeed. In a fascinating way. And it's, it's kind of like that freedom to chase that knowledge. It's, it's interesting. It was able to bring you to that state of, well, actually, I'm okay with the now. Well, we have now, and now is good. And to waste time now worrying about what might come later, you're gonna miss that wonderful, I think that's the other, like you said, that's the great thing with mindfulness that I've found It's like, it lets you focus just on what you have now. I mean, I have, when I do mindfulness meditation, I've only just started to realize since I started, how much noise there is in my head, and how much thought and how much I'm not actually, I'm not actually in the moment, I'm always thinking about other moments. And to be able to get to that state even temporarily when you're just focused on the now and the the existing it, and those voices can kind of like, all well, that, that noise in your head can kind of just die off a little bit. It's, it's, it's an incredibly rewarding thing. And it's one of the reasons why I encourage people to, you know, try mindfulness meditation, you know, download like the Headspace app or whatever other things are available to you. It really is an interesting little, I, I've got a long way to go with it. I've only really just started it, but it really is helpful in sort of soothing a lot of, of noise that you might have as a result of those those worries or those fears about the future.
1: It it is amazing. I'm reading a book right now called The Social Leap. And mm. it was recommended to me by one of the people in our XGW meetup. And it's fascinating and it gets into that, how your mind is not, it's not designed to be quiet. It's just Mm. not built to be that way. It's not uh, evolution uh, did not lead us to want to be at peace. (laughs) It wants you to always be on edge to get to the next thing. Like happiness is a reward, not a destination, you know, all of these things. And once you understand that, it makes it a lot easier to recognize why your brain never wants to shut down. But Mm. the benefit of doing so is amazing. I didn't realize until after researching mindfulness meditation that I'd actually been doing that for a very long time. Anytime I would get in the car, you know, and I would go for a long drive, I would not empty on the mind on purpose, but I would just stay focused like on the road or on the music or on what's Mm. happening now. And I realized, wow, I've been doing this my whole life. And didn't realize it. And I've just intensified that process. Beth was listening to something in her psychology uh, course the other day. And I I appreciate the fact that she uh, has to listen to these videos on various subjects. Because I get to listen to them while I'm sitting in the chair and kind of hinting in (laughs) to see what she's got today. And she was listening to a video on consciousness. That's what she was studying Mm -hmm. at the moment. And the guy who's given the lecture, he said something that really hit me, and I'm never going to forget it now. He said, what if consciousness is like electromagnetism or gravity? What if it's one of the fundamental forces of the universe? Mm. And I'm like, wow. Because I remember in seventh grade, I'll never forget seventh grade, earth science, uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed. It only changes form. I I yeah. learned that years and years ago, and I've never forgotten it. Well, what if consciousness is neither created nor destroyed? It only changes vessels. And like you said, now that I'm free to explore those things, uh, it brings a kind of a peace. Because it's one thing to say, oh, well, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm just going to live now. Well, that's mm-hmm. great. But when you come out of the background that we came out of, it yeah. really helps to have a cushion of possibility. Even if you have no evidence for what may or may not happen when you die, just the cushion of possibility for what might come down the road. And then it leaves you more free to focus on the now and not worry about the later.
0: Yeah. Is it, wasn't it, isn't it Peter Pan who said to die would be an awfully big adventure? Yes, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> who knows? So that may-
1: Maybe Socrates is right. It may be the best thing ever happened to us. So yeah. why, why sweat it, you know?
0: Absolutely, I think that's that's probably like a really nice um, that's probably a really nice note to to end it on. So, John, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. So, just quickly, could you run down where we can find you and Beth online? Well, if you go to YouTube and search for
1: "Stop the Shunning" with no spaces, you will find Beth, and if you search for "XJW Analyzer" with or without spaces, you'll find me. So, those are our channels,
0: and that's primarily where we put our content out right now. Cool. So, And also I'm, I'm hoping to get Beth on the um, on the show a bit later on because the, the psychology aspect of what she's studying and how she's bringing that to her activism and helping XJWs I think is fascinating. Um, so I think I'm hoping to get her on, on a later episode as well. And um, I'd love to have you guys back as well because I think I, I, I it might be, maybe it was the cough medicine talking, but I love the philosophy. And <laughs> um, One thing I've discovered since leaving Watchtower is I love these discussions of philosophy and science and the possible or the probable or these strange conundrums that existence throws up that, like you say, that put us in the position of that cat looking at the internet and going, what is that? Yeah. Because I don't get what that is, but I know it's something, but I don't know what. So it'd be great to have you back on at some point to sort of continue that. Oh, that'd be awesome. And for anyone who wants to just
1: dip their toes in the water, because philosophy can be dry. It can be really dry. If you want to dip your toes in the water of philosophy in a fun and entertaining way, go to YouTube and look up Crash Course Philosophy. Uh, It's a series of about 60 very short 10-minute or so videos by a guy named Hank Green, and he covers every possible facet of philosophy and belief systems you can imagine in a funny and interesting kind of way. I was hooked on that a few years ago, and that really got me deep into philosophy. So that's a great way to start. And he even talks about the matrix, which is a lot of fun, so...
0: You can't go wrong with The Matrix. You cannot. uh, Yeah, the lobby sequence is still the greatest uh, action (laughs) sequence ever filmed as far as I'm concerned. Indeed. (laughs) Cool. So, John, thanks ever so much for being on the show. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the next episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other software programs that you use to listen to the show. Written reviews really help us, and if you leave us a written review, I promise to read it out on one of the episodes. You can share the show on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, at covertfade. But most importantly of all, if you found anything we said useful, well, go ahead and use it. Because we only get one life, so don't waste it make the best of it. Live the life you want to live, not the life that the Jehovah's Witnesses told you you had to live. Take care, guys. I'll see you next time.